Welcome to HR Masters, a podcast where we sit down and talk about key learnings and best practices with the masters of human resources. Find us through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Now sit back, turn it up, and get ready to get your masters in HR with our host, Jordi Romero. Welcome to HR Masters. Today, we're very happy to introduce an old friend, Alberto Labau, uh, who is currently heading HR at Typeform. How are you doing, Albert? Fine. Very happy to be talking to you, Jordi. Funny enough, we're both in, Bar we're both in Barcelona, uh, but we didn't want to break the system, so we're still doing this remotely. So <laughs> we could be sitting next to each other and having a beer. So, Albert, um, I'm, we're very proud of having you in the podcast. Um, could you please tell our audience a little bit, you know, who you are, where do you come from? Why are you leading HR at Typeform right now? So, who am I? Uh, I won't go too, philo too much philosophical. Uh, you know that I can speak for for a long period of time. So I'm from Barcelona. Uh, I've been living here my entire life. Um, but uh, since uh, 2009, I've been working uh, in international companies. So that's why like, I live in Barcelona, but I consider a little bit of a citizen of the world, married to a Colombian wife as well. So uh, a little bit global. But um, going to the topic of uh, my background and why am I in, in, in HR, to be honest, when I was 17, I had to choose what to study. I wanted to be a cook, uh, but it was really expensive to be a cook back then. It was not that uh, in fashion as it is nowadays, talking about more than 20 years ago. Uh, so um, I finally decided to go for other options. Uh, why being a cook? Because I, I really like cooking. Uh, and for me, the, the experience that people go through when having a, a meal, no? the, all the social and Take it from a very anthropological point of view, uh, related to to food. It's something that uh, the end of the day connect people, no? And I was really, really interested in, in anthropology, in history, and in arts, in things that uh, relate to human beings beyond uh, what is tangible. Uh, that's what made me uh, focus in psychology uh, next. But when I uh, discovered that there was a lot of um, biology and brain studies that I was zero interested in, I finally found a way of uh, relations laborales, relations laborales and player relations, uh, as a shorter uh, path uh, to get a grasp on what was being known as HR you know, in the end of the 90s. Yeah, I have an age. So uh, I explored that uh, as a base uh, to get the, you know um, some insights in uh, employee relations, labor law, but also HR and the trends that were coming from the US uh, in a moment where internet was just starting. Um, and I fell in love and I fell in love with, with that uh, new trends. I had really good teachers and I decided to focus strongly uh, in HR and had some generalist roles, some pure uh, uh, HR admin roles in the beginning of my career. I wanted to get a glimpse no, of different areas so that I, I could build myself an opinion. Um, very soon I moved to a uh, generalist role, uh, doing more the hard side of HR, payroll, contracts, uh, but also training, uh, EHS, uh, and also like negotiation with unions, no? the, the, the hard side of, of HR. And uh, because of uh, that company was expanding globally, it was a construction company that was like family run, but all of a sudden it was the booming construction, 2005, 2006. Um, that company was expanding internationally. I was one of the few people that uh, uh, spoke uh, English quite fluently. 
Um, so I was uh, invited to participate in tenders. I was invited to participate in, in projects uh, that uh, all of a sudden made us recruit people internationally. So I started doing recruitment. I took advantage to do a, a master's degree in HR and I just confirmed that that was the path I wanted to follow. No? Um, so it was my first scale up uh, moving from uh, zero people in Barcelona to 200 in, in a year. Very different profile, uh, you know, in a very different industry. But I, I just discovered one of my passions, which was international environments and fast pace. And that paved the way so that soon after I, I tried uh, a pilot uh, in Nestle that didn't work out. Um, but finally ended up in, in Alstom, uh, in the renewable energy uh, business line uh, that was growing exponentially, similar case to previous, and where technology had a very strong component, technology and people. And this is where How I learned. How many people did you have at Alstom? How many people were you? When I, when I joined 550, uh, when I left, uh, 1,800. So it was like okay. a multiplying by 3.5 in four and a half years which was like uh, quite a significant growth and moving from having a quite local footprint, so Spain, Portugal, and France, and a little bit of Italy, to having a global footprint, Latin America, mm -hmm. Africa, Japan, North America, and, and throughout Europe. So it was a different kind of uh, environment than that of, of pure technology, but at the end of the day, it was a, a heavily run uh, R&D uh, uh, business. And, uh, during my last 18 months, I fell in love uh, doing recruitment for software engineers. And uh, I started implementing an, uh, an, an ATS and you know, learning about some plugins, about something called LinkedIn you know, that uh, you might have heard of. Uh, so what could you do to you know, uh, uh, reach out to hidden talent, connect with people globally? You know? uh, talking about 2008, uh, so it's 11 years ago. 2008, no, so 2010, 2011. So eight years ago, more or less. And I really discovered a, a universe of things that I felt I was the youngest in the team. I was growing, like promoting every year, year and a half. I was discovering what a business partner uh, was. I was uh, willing to learn more about business. And all of a sudden, I, I saw myself like willing to go to a place that things would move forward faster. Um, and that's when I decided to, to pursue a career in a startup. Uh, even taking the decision of cutting my salary, you know, like reducing significantly my salary and betting uh, for joining a startup. Uh, my wife didn't understand that, but if uh, she, she backed me back then. Um, so that's Saitel, that's Saitel, the new startup you're talking about. I had different options. Uh, okay. I was uh, between Softonic and Saitel. Uh, Softonic okay. looked much more promising, but things went a little bit south uh, a year mm -hmm. later and Saitel, I had some concerns uh, about the culture, but at the end of the day, it was uh, it had been a good place, and the project was quite quite cool so far. So, how, how did you know about these concerns before you joined the company? Like, did you do a due diligence on your potential employer? I did my due diligence on my network. I talked to several people. Glassdoor was not that that big back then, so the, the feedback there was not that relevant. No, as the, the one you can find nowadays. But still, I saw the opportunity of a company that was about to raise money. Uh, we didn't know how much money we were going to raise, but Cytel was a company of 180 people, more or less, predominantly based in Spain, a little bit in, in the US. Uh, but uh, the question was the amount of money. No? And, and six months later, we raised $104 million, which was one of the biggest, uh, if not the biggest, uh, fundraising in, in Spain uh, back then. Uh, and uh, 
the project was impressive, no? It was innovating democracy, no? So what, what can you find um, like uh, that is as sexy as innovating democracy, no? Uh, I connected a lot, no? And this is one of the things that also characterized my, my career in terms of decision making, no? The previous one was, let's make a living out of win. Um, so title was, uh, let's innovate democracy. And it was pure technology, pure software. Um, so then I, I moved from having this business partner role, like more of a T-shaped journalist uh, role, focused very close uh, on adding value to the business, working with several departments I was backing, um, to having a role which was uh, that of a specialist managing a team. No, I joined as talent acquisition manager to build, uh, you know, the, from scratch, uh, you know, the, the talent acquisition department and use that money to appeal the best talent in the world to help us in multiple locations now. So continue to be the, the number one company in, in, uh, in modern uh, in election modernization, no? which was the very, very niche, niche market. I can tell you that being 600 people, we were at the peak, we were the, ma the market leaders globally, you know, so you can imagine how niche that market was. And that was insane fast growth. We moved from 180 people in November 2013 to uh, 586 people in January 2015. So in a little bit more than a year, uh, it was crazy, crazy growth, uh, especially in, in engineering, in product, but also in sales and business development and, and in marketing. You know? So that means uh, talent, talent acquisition did, a, did an okay job there, no? <laughs> Let's say an okay job because a lot of uh, people that uh, have been there and then left uh, are now in much better positions even. So I think that we, we have built good people from, from uh, 27 different countries, which was not, not that bad back then, knowing what Barcelona was. And, Mm -hmm. it's, it's true that Saitel uh, also grew inorganically, right? So Saitel had a, a little shopping spree uh, where, where the company did, did many acquisitions uh, around the world. And, and I'm assuming that's... Three acquisitions, one in the US, one in Canada, and one in Brazil. But mm -hmm. we're not big in terms of number of headcount. So the headcount that we grew organically was 80%, 81% of the total growth. Okay. Well, I assume it brings new challenges anyway, right? So having to incorporate existing cultures into the mix and kind of making them blend, uh, that has to be... It was a huge challenge. It was a huge challenge and it explains why Sidel is nowadays a company of 120 people, no? why it failed, no? among many different other reasons. No? Like public sector is not, not easy and over 90% of the revenue came from public sector uh, with changes in governments every four years or even sooner. No? But uh, my story is like, I don't know if you have read uh, the book by Patrick Lencioni, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm. I strongly recommend I it. Uh, it. I heard about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Writing it down. This one. Okay, <laughs> nice. We'll, we'll add the link to the podcast notes. <laughs> so I strongly recommend it. It's a fable, but it's um, explaining quite well what happened there. No, At the end of the day, we, we were blaming the players and not the game. And what was failing was the game. To make a long story short, I, I, after trying it uh, three times, no, I like I had moved to a to a director uh, level role there, and helping the leadership team to really overcome the challenges. I didn't see the full buy-in uh, from from the not from the leadership team, but specifically from the CEO, uh, who was someone uh, incredibly brilliant from a business perspective, but you know, like was not probably ready back then to assume the changes that uh, that most of us uh, thought that were needed. And I decided that I didn't want to waste my time. So I um, I was looking for early stage. 
and it's when I found Travel Perk, and I connected immediately uh, with uh, founders, especially with the CEO, Avi, who was talking to me when they were 10 people, was talking to me about buying airplanes, no, with the name of Travel Perk on it. And I was like, this guy is either crazy or brilliant or both of them, no? So Probably both so far from what we've seen. <laughs> after nearly three years there, I can tell you that it's crazy, but amazingly brilliant. <laughs> So Travelberg is, is, is one of the highest growing companies in Barcelona at the moment, if not the highest growing company. No? Um, you, when did you join the company? How many people were there? Before I, I, I answer to this, is the, f, uh, the f, uh, fastest growing company in Europe and the fifth uh, uh, highest uh, growing company in the world of SaaS B2B. Okay. So uh, I joined being number 17. I left being 200, uh, and I think that they are now 223, 225, more or less. So they keep on growing, and the plan is to continue to grow to nearly 400 people by the end of this year. So at 17, um, I'm assuming you were the first HR person that the company hired. Was your mandate more to hire more people or to manage the existing people? What, was, what did Avi ask you to do? It's a, it's a mix of both. Uh, especially because uh, Travelperk had just raised uh, Series A, $5 million uh, back then. And um, we had an MVP that we needed to bring to the market and, and see how much traction could we create out of that. And at the same time, we knew, because we, we had a better product back then, we knew that it, it had all the ingredients to become a successful product. So the, the objective was double, was building the team, and you know, helping the team grow, but especially helping the company to prepare for the scale up. Because we knew that Trapper could either be like 200 people at the end of 2018, 150 or 250, but you know, it, it was not meant to be 50 people, no? So we started, my, my recommendation was to start to focus on the leadership team. Uh, let's build a very, very solid leadership team, a mix of people that have been there on that, uh, a mix of industry experts in terms of travel and e-travel and people that come from SaaS because Travel had the complexity of being on one hand a SaaS business model, but an e-commerce and, and a travel agency or a, an e-travel um, in uh, an online travel agency. Sorry, I was looking for the word. And, we built a leadership team based on that, and we set the grounds to scale up. So, what does it mean to build a leadership team? I mean, it sounds very easy when you say it like that. But what did you like? What did you have, right? Because you had uh, three founders um, with different skill sets, and how did you detect what you were lacking in the in the leadership team? We had two founders because the, the third co-founder and the former CEO had already uh, left the company and was advising the company only, but was no longer okay. there. Um, so we had two founders, one Javi, who was the creative mind, extremely passionate, you know, like passion never fails kind of person. Uh, and someone who had like 25 ideas that needed someone to, to help him land. And Avi was more like someone who also was extremely passionate and extremely creative, but someone who talked business, no? someone who was well connected and someone who was learning to be a CEO, but had already been an entrepreneur and, and had a strong product background and people management background. No? So what I was missing there was someone who they, they really were 
uh, interested in taking care of people. They genuinely were interested in caring of people, but they wanted to create a high-performing culture. And I spent uh, some of the few uh, initial days talking about them. Uh, what does a high-performing culture mean to you? No? What do you expect? Do you expect people working 24-7, working 80 hours a week, like in Silicon Valley? And we reached somehow an agreement no, that, uh, that they wanted to create a culture where people work like 40 hours a week with uh, as much flexibility as possible, uh, but also people that found the joy no, and the, the, the thrill you know, out of their work and that were hungry enough to be able to contribute to the impact and grow with the company. No? So we soon started about uh, to talk about culture and values, not in a fluffy way. Uh, they are purifier, no? and so we started talking about the very um, easy handbook approach, which is like culture is what allows you to make decisions. No, it's like how do you make things, no, uh, and empowers people when the lights go off. No, so mainly it was a very practical and pragmatic approach. Um, and after that, we came to the conclusion that we needed this bunch of experts. No, so the, the subject matter experts that also were really really good at uh, people management, so that they could not only bring a solution nowadays, be hands-on enough to implement it, but that they could also be good at recruiting that people and building that, that team. And who, who finds uh, executives? I mean, it's a very hard um, thing to do, right? To hire like an experienced domain expert and kind of like good fit with the rest of the leadership team. Um, how do you do that? Well, especially when you're at early stage, uh, you don't have 90k or 100k to go and pay a headhunting agency you no know, most of the time so you have them but you have to use them to to pay for other to pay the salaries actually <laughs> because you, the, your run rate is quite uh, quite limited no so survival mode is uh, what uh, helps you find ways uh, to to reach out to these people i've always work on my network uh, and i've uh, always been active uh, in finding alternatives uh, in terms of reaching out to talent, so it was mainly me, uh, and but not me. Uh, it was me facilitating that uh, the, the network we had inside of the company, inside of the VCs that had invested, turned out into a diaspora. You know, that helped us reach uh, to more people, and uh, we implemented um, a methodology to to handle recruitment based on a book. I I think that you heard of it as well. Uh, the, the Who, a book by Jeff Smart, um, about focusing on who you hire, not uh, you know uh, other reason on the person uh, that will make the difference, no? an A player, you no, know? and uh, that made a big difference because we were recruiting out of outcomes, no. So what do we expect from that that person? coming here and, and and sitting in this chair and we expect this person to bring us to this level we speak this person to uh, hire x amount of people train them and put i don't know or crm uh, salesforce into place and you know and increase the number of customers in, in x percent so we turn it into something that was very much actionable in the short-term strategy of a of a startup and uh, that also helped us after talking to lots of people realizing who had that and who didn't have it no so it was mainly us together and me particularly like doing a lot of research direct search through uh, starting with uh, TechCrunch and Crunchbase seeing what companies were in a similar stage a couple of years ago so that establishing some patterns doing some research on where can I find people that has been there and done that and might be willing to go back or might be willing to do that again as the head of that department so Basically, it was it was that, and then 
once we had the team in place, it was about we had a great uh, bunch of individuals, all of them very talented and very smart and very uh, much aligned towards you know uh, achieving uh, amazing goals, but. The next level was like making them become a team. You know? So we did a lot of work about relational styles, about uh, what is the most efficient way to manage people. Um, something that was very, very practical, uh, but that helped us to, to build a tone, you know, combined with the culture and the values, you know, that how did we align from our own personal values and build a famous ready to disagree and commit. How we build that you know, basis for a high performing team so that then we can uh, cascade it down when creating new layers of management. No, like I told you, one objective was growing, but the other one was scaling up the company. No? So that could easily permeate when we started training people that was becoming managers or team leads, no? reporting to these people in the, in the following months and years. Okay, so before, I mean, I have like a 25 questions I want to ask you right away, but I want to let you finish your, your story because uh, you're still at Travel Perk, but you're not sitting at Travel Perk's office right now. No, I'm sitting at uh, Typhoon's office. Um, and well, at, at Travel Perk, I saw, uh, like I told you, I joined after the Series A, I saw the Series B, the Series C, and I saw the business valuation uh, multiplied by multiple X. Uh, and... Uh, when we were nearly 180 people, um, I was in conversations with Typhoon. Uh, and well, one thing led to another, no? Uh, I was very, very happy and very much in love. I somehow, Trauberg is my baby and I have really good relationship uh, with all of them, with Avi, the CEO, and I have good friends there. Uh, but I felt that uh, somehow I knew what was coming there. Uh, and, and this opportunity was a train that I wanted. I wanted to pick and try, you know, um, and uh, that's what brought me here in January this year. So Typeform, just for context, I mean, everybody in Barcelona knows Typeform, almost everybody in the startup scene in Europe and in the world knows Typeform. It's, uh, you know, one of the classic B2B SaaS companies, um, you know, it's one of the companies that Barcelona is proud of, of hosting, uh, just went through a CEO uh, change recently, you know, and I guess that meant like, you know, leadership team uh, reinforcements and overall uh, changes and evolution in the business. So that's that's kind of like the moment that kind of, uh, you know, uh, push them to talk to you and, and I guess try to hire new new HR strength in the company. See, yeah, I was recruited by the person that uh, uh, very soon uh, became the, the new CEO and that was already uh, part of the equation uh, and was on the table um, and with objective of uh, you know, like uh, reshaping uh, some of the things that were uh, not working well without losing the things that that magic you know, that made uh, a company like that from uh, become very successful and very much loved by its customers and its employees. No, uh, so many people, uh, uh, focused person, uh, very customer centric company and design driven company, which is not that frequent, unfortunately, in Europe, especially in B2B SaaS companies. So, not losing this magic, but helping the company turn into execution, no, like improving the, the body performance without losing the heart and soul. To make a long story short, and that's what I, what I've been doing so far: uh, recruiting a new CFO, a new chief product officer, a new chief operations officer, and you know, and wow. and we have revamped uh, almost entirely the, the leadership team. Some of the people like were acting in in the role, uh, and they were part of the solution. No, that's one of the great parts of uh, Typhoon. It's a very honest, very transparent company in the sense that people is not afraid to raise their hand and say, "I'm." 
probably not the best person to do that or I might mm-hmm. be willing to collaborate but and this is uh, extremely unusual no? uh, in, in, in Spain at least it's uh, extremely unusual and it speaks highly no? as well uh, of the two founders no? that were the ones promoting uh, the change uh, stepping aside and you know they are in being incredibly collaborative incredibly backing Kim uh, the new CEO to really be as successful as possible no? and uh, here's where I am Super interesting story, Albert. Thanks for for sharing us with you your your story. So now that we know who you are, um, that you mentioned a lot of things that I would like to touch touch base on. One of the things you mentioned a couple of times is like, well, we had to build, you know, like all of this leadership team. Uh, we had to transform this company. We had to grow very fast. We have to lay strong foundations. And you also mentioned like, you know, culture values, you know, but not these fluffy, touchy things. And and you mentioned the concept of a, of a business partner. Um, you know, your own background is, is maybe not the usual high-tech company HR person who starts recruiting because it tends to be the first problem they have. You actually started with the hard um, HR, even administrative stuff, then moved on to more generalist, then, you know, into recruiting, then into this business partner world. So what, what is a business partner? What does it mean? For me, it's someone who, who lives and breathes business, no? Uh, someone who is ideally sitting nearby uh, the decision makers uh, in the departments or the business unit that uh, they are supporting. Someone who understands what are the, uh, the business drivers, the, the way success in that business is being measured, the KPIs, no? Um, to a level that understand the business model of the company and uh, can help others understand it as well. No, like I see a newbie and landing and and the business partner being the one taking care of, of that onboarding and helping the person really understand that. Why? Because being an, an, an HR person, you always have the people in your head and it's impossible to disconnect them from the business. No, unfortunately, or at least it's the reality I've I've, I've seen so far. Not all business leaders have people, you know, as part of the equation. No? Sometimes it's like the, 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 the needed uh, uh, issue, no, that they have to deal with to reach the business goals, no? The necessary evil. <laughs> the necessary evil, exactly. So what a business partner can do is without adding the, this touchy-feely uh, part that some people might have perceived in HR, like happiness and, you know, all this stuff that might sound like a little bit fluffy uh it's helping the business keep the, pers- the perspective and, and keep the human being you no know, connected to to that reality you no know? and especially because there is nothing that can vary the most you no know? depending on the mood depending on the motivation depending on on many um intrinsic and extrinsic factors uh that can have an impact on the company productivity and at the end of the day if you want to have the best productivity, have the best and the most motivated people, no? And individually speaking, but if you take it to a next level, it's like build an amazing team, no? And that, that has to be balanced, no? So business partner is someone who is very close to the business, understands HR, that has a solid understanding of HR policies, best practices, uh, recruitment, uh, learning and development, company ben, that is very well connected in the network, someone that can easily find um, uh, answers, no? To complex uh, business uh, situations that pop up on a daily basis impacting people and someone who also can um, put in place uh, you know and anticipate things that will help these business leaders to make the, the, the best decisions and and avoid facing some issues that might not be taken into account if you don't have a figure like that nearby so how um, how many percentage 
points do you think is people and how many would be business in the in the business partner role is it 50 50 is it mostly people or is it mostly business for me it's close to 50 50 uh, but i would say leaning towards people 60 40. Okay, and um, so the, the other question is like a lot of things you described uh, sounds to me also a little bit like this COO role, right? So operations of a business. I mean, people are a impor very important part of the operations of a business, but you also mentioned, you know, priorities, the strategy, uh, like collaborating together, how the, how the business functions, uh, you know, detecting gaps, detecting uh, opportunities. This is also something that a COO would be involved in. So do you think business partner and, and potentially a COO um, are related positions? Uh, do you think one is the evolution of the other or they have nothing to do? I don't know if one is the, is the evolution of the other. What I can tell you is like I fully agree with what you describe and uh, what I can tell you is like uh, especially in, uh, in the markets that are less conservative than, than that of uh, Spain and, and Europe uh, like if you can see the you know the, the North American market especially the, the US market you will see people that nowadays are holding CEO roles that were you know like in HR like 10 years ago and vice versa no people that have been in the CEO role that end up being in HR why because especially you take the two parts no the operations and and the people that managing the operations no? and it connects very, very, very well. I mean, people plus operations, that's a huge part of a business, so good luck with that. There is a role I like a lot um, that's become, uh, it's becoming a little bit more popular now in the business um, area, which is uh, chief of staff, right? That's a concept that I think in politics, and especially since the White House has a very famous role, which is the chief of staff, uh, popularized it. I think chief of staff, it's like the, the right hand of the, you know, the business leader or the leader in general of, of an organization, which kind of does what you described as a business partner, but maybe with, with a higher level of authority or, or responsibility. So it's an interesting position. You mentioned another thing that I found interesting, um, which is you know, a lot of the stuff you did to grow this team so fast, right? You went from 17 to 200 people, from 100 to 600. I, I forgot the numbers, but they're huge multipliers with, with very short periods of time. Um, one of the key things I saw in the companies you've been at is this huge brand these companies have in terms of talent, right? There's this uh, employer branding uh, thing. Um, I've seen you guys operate, you know, we're, we're close uh, in the same city and we, we fight for the same talent. Uh, in the market, and I see the investment you do in, in or you've done in your previous companies as well in, in employer branding, and it's very impressive. Um, how, how, how do you do that? What, what is your secret in, in being so aggressive in this brand? Well, first of all, I want to mention that um, I've always been lucky enough to, to be working with amazing managers and people that inspired me, and, and I've been lucky enough to be working with people in my teams reporting to me but more like working like peers that also inspired me that but, but we're ready to always focus on the solution and you know and go the extra mile no? and i think that i wouldn't be where i am without without these two parts no? 
Uh, with that said, uh, it's very easy. It's far easier than what you expect. If you have the right environment and people feel happy, and I was obsessed with employee uh, MPS uh, in the beginning at the Trauper to measure no, the satisfaction of people, but also being very, very open, talking to everyone and sizing, no, taking the temperature on a regular basis to the organization. Um, if you have that kind of culture that is very open, very transparent, where people thrill and Obviously, there's sometimes where people is not happy or some people is not happy, but but yeah, as, as a normal uh, life of any of us uh, can, can face. But if you're very open and transparent and you can talk about this and you pave the ground and you make it easy for people, generally people tend to be a little bit more lazy in terms of employer branding. What we did is we facilitated things. No? Um, and that's why people became promoters. Uh, and first of all, we started doing things but uh, that sort of virality came out of people that said hey guys how can i help you know we first initially started for help then obviously we did events but we always had people willing to collaborate no? and what you start one um one thread and people keep on working on this diaspora no that that multiply you know uh so i i would say that taking care genuinely and explaining using our our culture and our values no like the even in a very casual way, no? Uh, who Trauper was, and we, we made famous our onboarding process, which was unboxing, uh, you know, uh, a paperback, which was really, really weird, but people loved it, and that somehow became vital, no? So being genuine about who we were as a company, not overselling, no? And not explaining a story that, that was not real, that made that our own employees um, took that very seriously and kept on repeating these messages, not only in social media, but, you know, like uh, when they were attending to events, when they were talking to their friends. So that helped a lot. I think that that's, I can talk a lot about employer branding, but that was the, the main part of the strategy. People believing in what we were doing and us giving them a voice. I mean, um, I guess it also, you know, costs money to do some of those things. I mean, I don't know what this bag contains, but uh, there is also a conscious investment that you do in, in this brand. I disagree. Okay. It, all, it all started by, on my first day, uh, Trauperk taking a picture of Ness, uh, who was our, our pet, our dog. Okay. And I, I think I had like, I'm not exaggerating, over 10,000 views in less than a week of that post. So all of a sudden, um, and I was like just saying, hey, Ness is here having fun. Who's going to be next to join? If you see the visits to our career side, they, they grew exponentially. And we were 17 and we, I didn't even have a, you know, a, a paid LinkedIn account. No? So I, I completely disagree. If you know well, uh, I'm giving that as, a, as even as a, as a very early stage example, but even without a very complex strategy on how much budget will you allocate to the different, you know, like uh, um, social media and uh, employer branding initiative, you can do internal events that uh, we started doing, uh, like hosting meetups. And it cost us 300 euros, the first meetup, which was like, beers and um, pizzas for like 25 people or 30 people. So we just take a little bit of care of bringing good pizzas and, you know, beers and they, they were cold enough and, you know, helping people to feel as comfortable as possible. We could only offer that, no? So I don't think it costs a lot of money. Obviously, it's not the same. When I left, we were spending in, in employer branding and, and recruitment related stuff, uh, an amount that, you know, like it was crazy to consider it only two years ago. No? We we're spending over 50K uh, 
a year, no? Uh, but uh, I disagree that it's a bunch of money. Like the main problem is like some companies spend a lot of money but don't track, don't measure anything. So then after one year you say, oh yeah, I've spent, I don't know, 20, 30K in, in this. What is the return of investment? And then it's difficult to, to assess if that was worth it or not. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And uh, you mentioned something that made me think of something else. Um, so in a competitive market as um, you know, Barcelona is and has been for the last few years, there's uh, luckily more, more and more companies that are growing fast and you know, fighting for talent, both local but also you know, from other parts of the planet. Um, how, how big is salary in terms of being competitive for, for talent? You know, um, what, what do you think is the order of the important criteria to be able to, attend, uh, to attract the top talent you know, that we can bring into you know, travel park type form, factorial cycle, any, any business that's, that's based here in Barcelona, for example? It depends a lot on the stage you are and the kind of talent you're willing to appeal. No? For uh, junior people, that might be much less relevant in the beginning. It might turn more relevant after a few months or, or even uh, you know, the, during the, the first years. It depends also on, on equity. If you are very early stage and you're giving a significant uh, part of equity at a really good exercise price, so that might be appealing to people that know how to value that and that are ready to value that. Uh, but for me, salary plays a very key role when you have gone through the scale up and you have a different maturity level uh, and you want to really appeal very senior people or when you are even in an early stage, but you want to hire that person that will be that paramount, that relevant, that is when salary can, can be a, an issue, no? especially when your run rate is not, uh, it's not uh, very, very long and you want to prioritize. But for me, first of all, it comes with uh, the, the joy or the play that you will find uh, in what you do. So what's in it for you at the end of the day? The second one, it's uh, the growth opportunities. So, okay, uh, I'm going to invest my next couple of years in this project that will pay me less than if I go to a a corporate uh, company or multinational company um, and maybe making 40 to making uh, 50, you know, makes a big difference in this moment of life. But if you are in your late 20s making 32 or making 40, Maybe it's not a huge difference, even if it's a big amount of money at the end of the month. No? Uh, and investing a year or two in that company will make you make 60 no? in, in two years. So depending on how, how much do you take care in, uh, of, of your career and how much do you bet on yourself, I know people that uh, don't do that. And then when they are 30, they are spending 60K to do an MBA. It depends on your priorities. No? What, I, what I see is like what I've learned since I've been in hyper growth every year. It's, it's incredible, no? Uh, and and, uh, and it, it was not about the salary. I always adjusted to the salary I had. And it's not, in this case, about me. It's about the people I, I interview and the people I, I see living. And yeah. sometimes the people living, it's not about the salary. It's about the, the, the not the mission, but the, the what's in it for them, no? What, what will they be able to learn, uh, the people that they will be working with, and what will this do to the even you know employer uh, or employee value proposition no? to their to their brand as employees and how will this allow them to be more employable after that we see one of the founders of uh, typeform checking out you know what you're doing with this <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly that's um, I mean I have like 25 more questions unfortunately we're running out of time so I'll I'll try to wrap up, you know, try to make everything 
Yeah, you, you do. And, uh, and it's very interesting to listen to what you're saying. So let's try to summarize everything you want to share with the last question, which is, what would you like to tell younger Albert, you know, somebody who kind of knows they're going to end up doing HR, uh, that you wish somebody told you when you were younger? <laughs> um, I don't know, man. You, you caught me. Uh, I was not ready for this question. Uh, first of all, to stay permanently curious, uh, to seek for uh, building a network. And when I say network, it's a think big, you know, like uh, people in, in our generation, maybe it's uh, getting more used, but native digitals uh, might be easier to think big and think about who in the, you know, in, in Latin America, in the States or in, in Asia has gone through the same. So connecting with people that has gone through through similar stages and, and ask, 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 read, 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 do not make assumptions, uh, but try to use um, and build you know, a lot uh, of what we were discussing before about data, you know? like uh, build um, uh, a cohesive uh, way of thinking that they can connect this learning, this constant curiosity and this constant learning uh, with data to prove things. You know? Because I think that we have moved from having scarce information 20 years ago when, when I was starting to having too much information and being like the, the, the need of someone to be successful in HR is like, to be able to learn, know what what is the important part and and how to read in between lines. No, uh, we have HRIS, we have ATS, we have a ton of data that we can work with, and we don't know even how to use it. No, I, I'm learning. I'm someone who is uh, learning to be data driven. It, it's not a skill that comes naturally to me, but specifically, it's something that you are not going to be taught at university. So I would say, if you want to be successful in HR, aside from all the most normal things, networking. Uh, non-stop curiosity and, and data focus. No? Learn from finance, learn from performance marketing, learn from um, data scientists, no? and, and, and put that together uh, to improve your skills, no? to, to level up your skills in HR. It's a lot of work for young Albert. For the young and for the not so young. No? I think that that's something that it's not about doing it is not about a sprint it's more of a marathon it's about changing the mindset no it's no longer about i do this and i get there no it's more about continuous learning and continuous uh, awareness no about what are the trends and what's going to be happening next uh, super interesting story congratulations for your new position at typeform and thank you so much for joining hr masters thank you Albert. my pleasure thank you guys and continue to to rock thanks that was it for today see you on the next episode if you like this, subscribe to our channel and don't forget to tune in next week to HR Masters.